This morning, what I want to do, what I felt God put in my heart, uh, is to preach on the precious blood of Jesus. We sang about the blood this morning. The song we just sang, uh, I love. Uh, thank you, Pastor Jim, for playing that and for leading us in that. Another song I love, one of my favorite hymns is And Can It Be? Uh, maybe new to you, but I love the words of some of these hymns. They're powerful. And so let's talk today about the precious blood of Jesus. I'm going to spend today and next Sunday uh, talking about the blood of Christ. Uh, without a doubt, the blood of Jesus Christ is the most precious gift our Heavenly Father has given to the church. And yet, I believe so few Christians understand uh, the value of the blood as well as the virtue of the precious blood of Christ. In his book, The Power of the Blood, Andrew Murray said at the beginning, and I quote, it will become clear that there is no single scriptural idea from Genesis to Revelation more constantly and more prominently kept in view than that expressed by the words, the blood, the blood. As Christians, we often sing about the blood, how it washes white as snow. Uh, the, the old song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. How many know that one, all right? Uh, the anthem of the Pentecostal churches, there is power, 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 wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now, most believers seldom enter into the power of that blood because we simply don't comprehend the great significance of the blood of Jesus. For example... We constantly plead the blood as some kind of mystical formula of protection, but yet few Christians can explain its great glory and its benefits. We'll talk about the benefits of the blood next week and the blessings of the blood next week. In Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 9, the writer discusses how the new covenant was so much more superior to the old. We just talked about and, and I, I taught from the book of Hebrews last year and, and loved teaching on the book of Hebrews. But it goes into detail in the book of Hebrews, letting us know how important the blood of Jesus Christ really is. Uh, the, the blood of Christ is central to the concept of redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7 says it this way. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood for which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance verse 18 of chapter 9 therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood and then verse 12 of hebrews 9 not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. If I were to ask you this morning what the blood of Jesus Christ means to you, you might answer something like, well, it means that my sins are forgiven. And that's good and that's fine. We'll talk about that. And yet beyond forgiveness, what does the blood of Christ mean to you? I mean, could you explain to me or to your family, or perhaps to a co-worker, the value and the virtue of the blood of Jesus. Well, this morning, what I want to do is give you and give us a fuller understanding of the blood of Jesus 
and how his precious blood still can work wonderful changes in your life. Now, in Scripture, the blood is spoken of in two ways. Number one, blood shed, and number two, blood sprinkled. Blood shed and blood sprinkled. Most of us know about the blood Jesus shed for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed, shed on the cross. Hebrews 9, 22 for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. When Paul, or when Christ lifted up the cup at, at the last Passover, uh, Jesus said, this cup in the New Testament, in my blood, is, is, he says, which is shed for you. So we, we know about blood being shed. We memorialize his sacrifice every time, every month when we have communion on the second Sunday of the month. But that's the limit of most Christians' knowledge of the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, we know only about the blood being shed, but not about blood being sprinkled. The first biblical reference to the sprinkling of blood is Exodus chapter 12, verse 22, where the Israelites were commanded to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood of a slain lamb and sprinkle it on the lintel and two side posts of their front door. That night when the death angel came and saw the blood on the doorpost, on the doorframe, he would then pass over that house. Thus we get the word Passover. Please understand, as long as the blood was left in the basin, it was of no effect. It was merely blood that had been shed. The blood had power to save only when it was lifted out of the basin and sprinkled or applied to that doorframe of that home, the doorpost of that home. Now, why couldn't the Israelites have simply laid the basin of blood at the threshold and said, hey, it doesn't matter what you do with it, after all, blood is blood. Suppose they had put the basin on a linen-covered table or on a pedestal just inside the door. This is what would have happened. The death angel would have struck that home. In other words, the blood had to be lifted out of the basin and sprinkled on the door to fulfill its purpose of protection. In other words, the blood had to be appropriated or perhaps a better word for us to understand, the blood had to be applied. The blood had to be applied. This blood in Exodus 12 is a type of the blood of Jesus Christ. For when, when God says, for when I see the blood, I will pass over you. See, the people were taught back then that life could only be obtained by the death of a substitute. In other words, life was only possible for them through the blood of a life given in their place and appropriated by the sprinkling of that blood. Church, in case you haven't realized it, that the hour that we're living, the time we're living in, it is life's midnight hour, 
And God is coming back for a church, a blood-bought, blood-sprinkled church. And the only thing God is looking for when he comes back is the blood. Has the blood of Jesus Christ been applied to your life? You see, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, then the doorposts of your life, your heart, has been sprinkled by his blood. And this sprinkling is not only for forgiveness, but also for protection. When you are sprinkled by his blood, you are totally under the protection of Christ's blood against all the destroying powers of Satan. In other words, when, when Satan's forces see Christ's blood on the doorpost of your life, they must pass over you. They cannot touch you because they cannot touch anyone sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus. In other words, we have a hedge of protection around us. That's why Satan must ask God for permission to come against you. The Old Testament example, that of Job. The New Testament example, that of Peter. Satan has ask permission to sift you, but I have prayed for you, Peter, Jesus said. That's why the blood of Jesus has to do with much more than just forgiveness. There is also a sprinkling of blood mentioned in Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. In this passage, God made a covenant agreement with Israel. He promised, if you obey my, my words, and I, he says, I will be a God to you and you'll be my people. And after Moses read the law to the people, they answered, well, we understand and we will obey. Now, in other words, they agreed to the covenant with the Lord. Here's the deal. Obedience and blood must always be joined together to validate God's acceptance of his people and then their consecration unto him. Only after the people pledged to obey, to obey God through the atoning blood could they participate then in the covenant blessings. And so what happened? The people agreed to the covenant with the Lord, and now this covenant had to be sealed. This covenant had to be ratified or made valid, and that could happen only through the sprinkling of blood upon it. Hebrews 9, 19 tells us Moses took the blood and sprinkled both the book and all the people. This blood covering the people sealed the covenant. It is clear from the passage that the sprinkling of the blood gave the Israelites access to God with great joy. Now on this occasion, it had nothing to do with forgiveness. It had nothing to do with the remission of sin, but rather with communion, with fellowship with Almighty God. In other words, they were now sanctified, cleansed, and fit to be in God's presence. And then Moses Nadab and Abihu, the 70 elders, went up to the mountain to meet God. And the Lord appeared to them, coming down a sapphire stone walk. These men saw a table spread before them, and the scriptures infer that with ease and with comfort and no fear of judgment, they sat in the presence of God and drank and ate with him. Exodus 24, verse 11. Now, that to me, church, is simply amazing. 
that these people could enjoy fellowship with God and be in the very presence of God himself, whereby shortly before that, they feared for their lives. Now, why is that? It was because blood had been sprinkled, and they understood the safety, the power, and security in that covenant, in that blood. They didn't fear. Herein, I believe, lies the good news for us today. Because today, we are in a new covenant with Jesus Christ, a covenant sealed by his own blood. And likewise today, when his blood is sprinkled on your soul, it is for the purpose of communion or fellowship with God. Therefore, we can boldly go before God without fear, without judgment, into God's presence and enjoy fellowship with God. Hallelujah. In other words, we are given access to God with no sin condemning us. You are free then to talk to God and enjoy his company. After all, the Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Now, one of the most important sprinklings of blood was done by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about this. I mean, once each year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement, the word atonement meaning reconciliation or at one atonement. This act was meant to cover over, yes, the people's sins so they could be reconciled to God so then they could have communion once again with the Heavenly Father. Now, what would happen is this. The priest would carry into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, a handful of incense, a censer of burning coals of fire from the altar, and a container of blood from a slain ox or young bull. Within the Holy of Holies was an ark. On top of the ark sat a flat golden top with a lip around it. This was the mercy seat where God sat. It was his very presence. The mercy seat then had two golden cherubim on each side with wings spread over the seat. After cleansing himself in an elaborate ceremony, the priest then would go inside the Holy of Holies with great reverence and great fear. He dropped the incense into the fire, causing an aroma and smoke to ascend. This represented the prayers of Christ interceding for his people, for Jesus ever sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for the saints. I'm glad for that. Amen? Amen. Then the priest dipped his finger in the blood and sprinkled it seven times on the mercy seat. Leviticus 16 verse 14 says, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. This was for the high priest's sins and those of his family. Then he would basically repeat this process with the goat, with the ram, for the sins of the people. When the blood was sprinkled on God's mercy seat, forgiveness of all sins was accomplished and past sins were covered. When the high priest came out, the people knew that God had accepted the sacrifice and their sins were pardoned. And honestly, Israel never doubted it. 
Well, here's the good news for the church today. We too have a high priest. His name is Jesus Christ our Lord. And he is the high priest not just once a year, but for all time to the end of the world. And not without blood was not simply for the Old Testament, but it's for the New Testament saints as well. Why? Because Jesus took his own blood to the true mercy seat into God's presence, the Holy of Holies, and presented it once and for all for the remission of all sins of all believers of all time. It was the final sprinkling. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says of this act, Hebrews 9, 12, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 14, Hebrews 9. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He, Jesus, entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. See, here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus took his own blood into heaven for us. And it isn't reserved there simply as a memorial it is to be sprinkled on all who come to him by faith. Some more verses, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to be sprinkled and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews 13, 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And then Hebrews 13, 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. See, by these words, the Holy Spirit teaches us that the blood is really the central power of our entire redemption. We find the same teaching in the writings of the apostles. Paul, for example, writes in, in Romans chapter 3, 24 and 25, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus through faith in his blood are now being justified by his blood. To the Corinthians, Paul declares that the cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. In the epistle to the Galatians, he uses the word cross to convey the same meaning. While in Colossians, Paul united the two words and speaks of his blood shed on the cross. Paul reminds the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, that we have redemption through his blood and that we are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The writings of Paul. Peter reminds his readers in 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 that they were God's elect 
who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace, he says, be yours in abundance. Think about that. We have been chosen for obedience. Once again, the connection that we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, verse 19. So we have Paul, we have Peter, John. John assures his readers in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 6, the son is he who came not by water only, but by water and blood. You see, all of these writers agree together in mentioning the blood and in glorying in the blood as the power by which eternal redemption through Christ is fully accomplished and is then applied by the Holy Spirit. We are teaching, I'm teaching on Wednesday nights the book of Revelation. And what do we learn from the last book in our Bibles concerning the future glory in the blood? It is of great importance to notice that in the revelation which God has given us in this book of the glory of the blood of Jesus Christ and the blessedness of those who surround it, the blood still retains its remarkable prominent place. Revelation chapter 1, 5 and 6, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, how? By his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We'll get into chapter 5 this coming Wednesday evening. In chapter 5, verse 6, on the throne, John saw a lamb, a lamb as it had been slain. As the elders fell down before the Lamb, they sang a new song, John 5, 8, and 9. Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by the blood. By the blood. Later on, when he saw the great company which no man could number, he was told to reply to his question as to who they were. And he says this, they, were washed, they, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then again, when he heard the song of victory over the defeat of Satan, its strain was they overcame him, the enemy, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Are you seeing how important his blood is. In the glory of heaven, as seen by John, there was no phrase by which the great purposes of God, the wondrous love of the Son of God, the power of his redemption, and the joy and thanksgiving of the redeemed can be gathered up and expressed in this, the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Really, if you think about it, from the beginning to the end of Scripture, from the closing of the gates of Eden to the opening of the gates of the heavenly Zion, there runs through Scripture a golden thread. It is the blood that unites the beginning and the end, the glorious blood of Jesus Christ that restores what sin had destroyed. That's why the blood occupies such a prominent place in Scripture. 
I read this past week that there are at least 43 references to the blood of Christ in the New Testament, all testifying to its great importance in the salvation and daily life of the believer. Church, God has no other way of dealing with sin or the sinner save through the blood. Therefore, the blood of Jesus must have the same place in our hearts, in our lives, which it has with God. Because from the beginning of God's dealing with man, yes, from the very foundation of the world, the heart of God has rejoiced in the blood. For example, we see the blood in Abel's offering that it pleased God. We see the blood in Noah's offering after the flood. We see the blood in Abraham's offering of the ram in Isaac's place, how God provided on Mount Moriah. The blood in Egypt on the doorposts, the blood at Mount Sinai, the blood in the holy place and the most holy place. The high act of worship is the sprinkling of blood. And this continued until our Lord came to make an end to all the shadows by bringing in the substance and by establishing a fellowship with the Holy One in spirit and in truth. Bottom line is this. Our hearts will never find rest nor find salvation until we learn to walk and glory in the power of His blood. There is nothing that draws our hearts nearer to God filling them with God's love, joy, and glory as living in a constant spiritual view of that blood. So the big question for us this morning is this. How is the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled upon our hearts? The blood is sprinkled on us by the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. Jesus sprinkles His own blood on us when by faith, we receive his finished work on the cross. Now, understand this isn't a physical sprinkling. Rather, it's a legal, spiritual transaction. He sprinkles the blood on our hearts in response to our faith. And until we truly believe in the power of his sacrifice at Calvary, the blood of Jesus cannot produce any effect upon our souls. Romans 3.25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through what? Through faith in his blood. Now, if you believe with all your heart, it brings your, con your conscience and your soul into rest. And guess what? No devil or no demon in hell can take that from you. Amen. In her message, I've heard a Tompkins preach a message years ago, and I've showed it a number of times like, 10, 15 years ago, but it's a message, one of my favorite messages called Cast Not Away Your Confidence. And she said this, if you have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life, you have to go to heaven. Hell won't have you. She says, I'm saved and I know I'm saved. Hallelujah. And you can say, I believe I am saved. I believe I am forgiven. I believe I am delivered. I believe I am sanctified. I believe I am healed. Why? Because I trust in the blood. I trust in it. See, the blood of Christ is sprinkled on us by the Spirit of Christ, as I said, who dwells in us. Jesus sprinkles his own blood on us when by faith 
we receive his finished work at Calvary. Now, I believe the reason today so many Christians are living in condemnation, living in fear, and even bondage today is because we have failed to believe in the finished work of the cross. In other words, we fail to see the power of his blood and the victory his blood has wrought. And you're saying, well, Pastor Brian, I understand all that. That's good and fine. But how can I know whether the blood has been applied to my heart? Let me give you three ways you can know if you have been sprinkled by his blood. Number one, you have been sprinkled by his blood if you are now willing to walk in the light and allow Holy Spirit to expose all darkness in you. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The King James Bible reads, cleanses us from all sin. See, John here is clearly talking about someone who is in love with the Lord, love with his word. They're they're not afraid of reproof. They say, Lord, shine your Holy Ghost light in every crevice of my heart because I want to live my life to please you. I want my life to glorify you. I want to walk in the light. Guess what? Light exposes darkness. And the closer you get to God, light, the more he's going to expose darkness in your life. And so if you love the light, it's a sure sign that you've been sprinkled. Do you love his word? Do you like it when he corrects you and disciplines you? Do you like it when he, when he corrects you? All right. Number one. Number two. You have been sprinkled by his blood if you can call on the power and authority of Christ's blood when you're under enemy attack. Those who have not been sprinkled are in trouble. When they're in trouble, who do they call? Maybe their best friend, maybe a neighbor, co-worker, a counselor, and they maybe even wallow in fear and condemnation. But those sprinkled with blood immediately stand on what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, we often hear, and this is one of my pet peeves, you can receive it or not, <laughs> but we, we, often, we often say, well, I plead the blood of Jesus. And we, we use that phrase in Christian circles. May I be so bold to say this morning, that is not a scriptural term. Pleading the blood is not biblical. Now, how many just got upset with that? (laughs) If I could change one thing, it'd be right here. The word plead means argument. It suggests begging or beseeching. And that is a defensive mode. Let me remind us today, church, we are not fighting for victory, but rather from victory because the battle has been won. Amen. I believe our attitude must be much stronger than just begging or pleading. We are warriors, blood bought, blood saved, more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. See, here's the deal. 
We're not in a courtroom with the devil pleading a case. No, we are victors. Jesus Christ has won the victory for us once and for all. His blood has prevailed. Therefore, we don't have to plead his case. It's been pled for once and for all. What we need to do is simply enforce what Christ has done. We need to enforce on earth the victory that heaven has in store for us. Therefore, instead of pleading, I believe our battle cry should be, I proclaim the victory of the blood of Jesus. I am blood washed, I am blood bought, I am blood justified, I am blood safe, I am blood ransomed, and I proclaim the victory of the blood of Jesus. Say that with me. Say it out loud. I proclaim the victory of of the blood of Jesus. Don't plead it. It's been pled for. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Semantics, yeah, I know that, but proclaim. Proclaim the victory. Third way. A third way you can know if you've been sprinkled. Number three. When you are so secure in the cleansing, justifying power of the blood that your conscience no longer condemns you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. I read it earlier. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God? Friends, when the enemy accuses you, remind him once again that we are victors through Christ. I mean, I know whose I am, all right? As Ivern Tompkins says, I know I'm saved, I am saved. Hallelujah, you know? And so also understand, if your heart condemns you, God is greater, the Bible says, God's greater than your heart. Now, on one hand, your conscience does an evil work when it does not wake you or stir you to obedience to the gospel. On the other hand, it is also it also does evil when it unnecessarily condemns you or accuses you and constantly reminds you of how you failed God and causing depression and fear. But when you fully rest in the cleansing, justifying power of the precious blood of Jesus, when you take command of your conscience in the spirit, your conscience is no longer an accuser, but rather does its work properly. Therefore, when the devil rises up with an evil accusation, he is the accuser of the brethren. Your conscience proclaims the victory of the blood of Jesus. It's like Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance in faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, a peaceful, purged conscience is a sign of being sprinkled with his blood. I remember when I first got saved, first came to Christ, it was February 20 of 1983, almost 40 years ago. And man, I struggled with sin and different things, and I won't go into details of all that. But I was like Romans chapter 7, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I should do, I'm not doing, what a wretched man I am. But then I had a friend share with me Romans chapter 8. Uh, there is therefore no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You know, and it's all about the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 8. And, and, and basically, kind of a revelation to me is like, I don't have to live with a guilty conscience no more because of what he's done. I mean, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, to God's elect, once again, who have been chosen for the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ and the sprinkling of blood. But then it says this in verse 2, grace and peace be yours, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Hallelujah. We have an abundance of God's peace and we have an abundance of God's grace all because of the precious blood of Jesus. All right, so let's uh, wrap this up. Going back to where I started, it's life's midnight hour, as I said, and God's looking for one thing, and that's the blood. The scene in Exodus 12 is a pivotal point in Jewish history. For that night, the Jewish people were set free from Egyptian bondage. Every home in the country was identified with only a curbside examination, each targeted either for life or for death. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, being in a Jewish home that evening and waiting as the hours pass by. 9 p.m., nothing. 10 p.m., still nothing. 11 p.m., everything was the same. But at midnight, an unseen presence made its way through the streets of Egypt. From some homes came the mournful wail of parents cradling dead children. From others came, from other dwellings came shouts of rejoicing. You see, it's interesting that with today's sophisticated knowledge and technology, even our smart bombs sometimes kill innocent people. But friends, our laser-guided weapons cannot compare to the pinpoint precision demonstrated on the streets of Egypt that night. Because that night, death found its intended target. Life zeroed in on its mark. The heavenly messenger made precise decisions. But how did he know? What guidance system steadied his aim? What, identifier, what identified who would live and who would die? The answer... The blood. The blood. The blood made all the difference between life and death. What am I saying? I'm saying there's life in the blood. Some homes had applied blood to the sides and top of their doorframe, of their home. The instructions were very specific. When I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. Surely, some laughed as their neighbors applied blood to their homes. Others mocked. Others scoffed and ridiculed. But everything changed at midnight. You see, applying the blood of Jesus Christ to your life now may seem silly. It might seem unnecessary. But it will be worth it all when life's midnight hour comes. There's coming a time, church, we need to be ready. Because at that moment, God won't be looking for your church membership card. He won't be concerned about seeing your list of accomplishments in his name. He could care less whether you sang in the choir or taught a class for Sunday school or whether or not you were even a pastor. He'll look for one thing, the blood. Has the blood of the lamb been sprinkled to the doorpost of your heart? Where do you find the lamb? 
as Abraham walked up Mount Moriah with his son Isaac, he spoke the answer, God will provide the lamb. Pointing to Jesus, John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 1, 18, You are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a Lamb without blemish or defect. It's the precious blood of Jesus. But his blood does no good unless it's been applied by faith in your heart. Those who are saved are those who have applied that blood to their lives. And my question for you this morning is very simple. Have you, have you asked Jesus Christ to apply his blood to your life? Let me ask it again. Have you asked Jesus Christ to apply his blood to your life? If not, I would, I would highly recommend you do it today. Because as I've said throughout this message, it is life's midnight hour. And Jesus Christ is going to return for his bride, those who have applied his blood to their lives. We are told in 1 John chapter 5 that the blood is a witness. Verse 8, there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. A witness is someone who is expected to speak, someone to testify. As Hebrews chapter 12, 20 through 24, it tells us the blood does speak and it speaks better than Abel's blood, but you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel's. Have you asked Jesus to apply his blood to your life? Let's all stand with we'll in prayer. Worship team, join me, please. If you've never asked Christ to apply his blood to your life, then today is the day you need to make a decision, make a choice, where you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You accept what he's done for you, that you're asking him today by faith, Jesus, sprinkle my heart with your blood. If you've never done that, I want to give you opportunity this morning to do that. With, with, with eyes open, heads not bowed, looking this way, if you've never asked Christ to, to, to sprinkle your heart with his blood, you've never repented of your sin, then today is your day of salvation. And I want to give you opportunity this morning to make things right with God because it is life's midnight hour. And if you would like to make that choice, make that decision right now, right where you're standing or seated today, put your hand up high and say, Pastor Brian, I need to make sure that my heart has been sprinkled with his blood. I want to make sure that I'm right with God, that my sins have been forgiven, and that I'm a new person in Christ. I've been sprinkled by the precious blood of the Lamb, of Jesus Christ. Anyone at all want to make that choice and that decision this morning, where you say, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for heaven. I'm not sure if the, if the death angel, so to speak, would come, if I'd be ready. I'm not sure if the door frame of my home has been sprinkled by his blood. 
And if that describes where you're at today, I want to give you opportunity right now to make things right with God. Choose ye this day who you're going to serve. Jesus Christ is the only way. There's not many ways to God. There's one way, and that is through the precious blood of Christ. Are things right between you and God? Are things right between you and God? Father, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, for the sprinkling of that blood to our hearts, to our lives. I thank you today that we can live without fear, without worry, without condemnation. I thank you today that we can be right before you because of what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding innocent blood in our behalf. Thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. Lord, we glory in that blood. In your name, amen. We're going to sing about the blood one more time. And I would like to, for you, right where you stand this morning, enter into worship, enter into praise and thanksgiving as we once again sing about the precious blood of Jesus. Pastor Jim.
There is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood, the blood. Call the sons and daughters, we are ransomed by our Father through the Thank you, Lord. We bless you today, Father. I pray, God, the blessing of God now upon your people. May we go with great, uh, a great abundance, God, of, of grace and peace, all because of the blood. May it be applied to our lives. And may we walk in it, God, not under fear, not under condemnation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us. Bless now your people. Bless our time of fellowship in the fellowship hall for the chili feed. God, I pray that the funds raised would, would, would allow others to hear about the precious blood of lamb as well. God, around this world, those that don't know you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Be blessed and be a blessing as you leave this place today. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. This Wednesday evening, we're starting in Revelation chapter 5 in our Bible study. Join us at 6 p.m., 6 to 7.15. Something for you, something for kids as well. But God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen.